Amazon is buying MGM for 8.5 billion, making the deal second only to its 14.5 billion purchase of Whole Foods. Is Jeff Bezos just looking to bolster Prime Video, or does MGM bring other value to the retail giant? Listen on to find out. And welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream our weekly podcast. This is Will Richmond from Video News and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media joins me. Hey, Colin. Hey, Will. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm in the midst of um, final preparations for our big Connected TV Advertising Summit coming up on June 9th and 10th. And we have uh, 45 speakers now lined up across 14 sessions and really excited about who's participating and um, all the great learning that's going to be going on over those couple of afternoons. So registration is complimentary. I encourage our listeners to sign up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it well uh, as well, Will. And I know we're talking to Gene Ellen Cowgill from Bloomberg, and that will we'll actually yep. be releasing that part of our podcast as well. And yep. I have a great panel on AVOD, so it's going to be, well, actually, it's on virtual linear. So it's going to be a great time, I think. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And um that is again on June 9th and 10th. So let's go ahead and get started with this week's podcast before we get to our main story, which, as you said, is Amazon and MGM. We want to touch on a couple of stories that hit our radar this week. Yeah, and one of the ones that hit mine, Will, was the announcement that Cinedime would be joining the other content providers that are working with this new service called Stroom, which is spelled S-T-R-U-U-M. And I don't know if, if our listeners have had a chance to take a look at this service, but they really should take a look at it because it is very unusual because it has a pay-as-you-go model. Basically, what you do with Strum is you pay them, uh, I think it's $5 a month, and you get a set of credits, a hundred credits, and you basically, you can pick from any of the content that's on the service and you pay with credits. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a pay-as-you-go model. You select the stuff you wanna watch and you pay for it directly. And they really have a bunch of, a bunch of different content providers on here. They've got IndieFlix, Gusto TV, Wonder DocuRama, and as I say, Cinedime is bringing a whole bunch of its assets, including Dove Channel um, and Con TV and, and, and a bunch of other stuff as well. So that's a really interesting play. And the interesting thing for me here, Will, is that we've just not seen anybody do this, uh, anybody, anybody provide pay-as-you-go content like this. And I just think it's a really interesting model. I think it's under, under or unexploited. And it's a good way for content owners and content licensors to make money from people who maybe wouldn't sign up for their complete SVOD service, but do want to watch a couple of the shows. So uh, I think people should check it out. You think the idea is to get people then interested in subscribing to those services? They watch a couple episodes and then subscribe? I think absolutely. That's it's a way of exposing people to that content. But you know, as I say, it's a way of monetizing content in a new way, which mm -hmm. I think is going to be additive and hopefully not uh, cannibalize the subscriber revenue that they will ordinarily have received. 
Well, fair enough. And a story that I wanted to mention was a, a real trip, as a, a fun story, that was a real trip down uh, Nostalgia Lane, which is the YouTube video, one of the earliest YouTube videos that I ever saw. Charlie bit me. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> some of I'm guessing some of you laugh knowingly. I'm sure you've seen it many times. I'm sure many of our other listener, listeners have seen it as well. Um, was sold as a non-fungible token, an NFT. Some of our listeners are probably familiar with that term for $760,000 last Sunday. And beyond that, it was originally the plan that the um, family that owned the video was then gonna take it down from YouTube. But apparently the buyer has agreed that the video can stay up on YouTube so people can still watch it for free even though this buyer bought the ownership rights to it for $760,000. It's another sort of oddity of this whole NFT market. Um, There have been almost 900 million views of Charlie Bit Me and it really I think harkens back to a time when YouTube was primarily a UGC platform. This was just, it was uploaded in the spring of 2007 just about seven months or so after Google acquired YouTube. And YouTube at the time, of course, was being sued left and right by premium content providers that did not like the fact that YouTube was taking liberties with their content and airing clips. And it looked like it wasn't clear what was gonna happen with YouTube. Obviously, fast forward 14 years later, and it's a very different YouTube than it was back then. But um, Charlie Bit Me remains one of my nostalgic favorites, and it was fun to see it uh, being back in the news again here this week. Yeah, those those non-fungible tokens, there's been lots of talk about them in the industry. I know lots of people are planning on leveraging them to sell unique copies of digital assets uh, to, to fans of, of their stuff. And I think this is the most, the most, uh, the biggest one that I've seen, and very, very unusual. <laughs> uh, particularly is they're letting it remain on YouTube, right? Doesn't that uh, kind of devalue the value of the of the asset that you purchased? I don't know. That's what one would think. I don't know. Maybe we could turn one of our podcasts into an NFT. What do you think? Yeah. Well, well we're taking offers, offers, <laughs> listeners. Let, let us know how much you'll pay for an NFT of one of our podcasts. <laughs> minimum minimum price is seven hundred sixty thousand oh, dollars. <laughs> I don't think we'll be selling that. <laughs> well, speaking of money being thrown around, Amazon has ponied up big time. Eight and a half billion for MGM, and we want to talk about that a little bit today. And you are going to get the conversation started, so why don't you go ahead? Yeah, as you say, Amazon's coughed up eight point four five billion dollars for MGM, and this I I, I guess um, I was trying to look for the reasoning behind why Amazon would want to do this. So I'll, I'll get to that in just a second, but I think it's worth taking a moment to really understand what they're going to get. Um, So uh, the first thing is, of course, they're going to get this absolutely massive film and TV library that's available in MGM right now. And we're talking about 4,000 movie titles uh, like Bill and Ted Face the Music, The Addams Family, The Hustle, plus all the franchises, the Bond franchise, Rocky Robocop, The Pink Panther. They also have 17,000 TV episodes, uh, including the Stargate franchise. They're the makers of The Handmaid's Tale, Survivor, Shark Tank, The Hills. So there really is a treasure trove of content here. 
rolling around. And I just want to talk, spend a moment talking about the the crown jewels, I suppose, of MGM, the engine that's that's been really driving a lot of revenue for the company over the period that it's been available, and that's the Bond franchise. And this is actually an odd one, and, and it will be quite difficult, I think, for Amazon to deal with this because actually MGM is only the 50% owner of the Bond franchise. Eon owns the other half and also Eon retains creative control. And that's really important because they have yay or nay say so on scripts, on merchandise, on billboard advertising, on everything. And actually they are one of the reasons that we have never seen a Bond spin-off on TV or a Bond spin-off movie franchise. We've never seen that because it has been nixed by Eon. So that, I think, is going to be pretty tough for Amazon to deal with. Uh, But I will say that the the reason Eon has always nixed these deals is because they believe Bond is a movie franchise for theatres. And the good news there is, of course, Amazon is very willing to work with the theaters, and they've done that. They've done that in the past, and uh, so that that's to their to their plus, I think. But it's still, I think, going to be a pretty difficult thing to deal with. So um, now, how does it fit with Amazon? So I see a, a few ways that it actually helps Amazon. The first is, of course, it helps boost Prime Video, although I'm not sure Prime Video needs a lot of boosting. I think it's already doing the job that Amazon needs it to do, so um, I don't know how much it does boost, but obviously having some or all of those movies available inside of Prime Video will get more people in there watching, which is probably a good thing. It boosts profit for Amazon because they now own the movies that they're selling as transactional pay-per-view or uh, or or pay-to-own, though, and and also of course the discs that they sell through the store. And the third thing is it brings a new revenue stream, which is licensing those movies and ticket sales. So those are the things that I think really help. I, I would be really surprised if Amazon would have dumped the entire library of movies into Prime Video. I think that would be a gross misuse of the catalog. So what I would expect them to do is to rotate in those movies. Um, so I think that could that could well help. Um, the, the, the really surprising thing here for me, Will, was that we didn't see people like Netflix or Apple go harder after these assets. I know that uh, 8.45 billion is a is a big number. Uh, it's certainly it looks to be a little bit over two and a half times earnings, which is probably means it's a fairly high valuation. Uh, but I, you know, this is something that Apple could spend and not even not even breathe hard, right? It's got so much cash. And let me tell you, if there's a service that needs help, it's Apple TV Plus. There's just not enough content there. It would have been a great deal for Netflix too, because. I think Netflix could have developed a new revenue stream with the licensing. They've already expressed interest in doing licensing for their for their own content. So this would have brought a new revenue stream. So I'm kind of surprised they sort of backed away 
from the idea of, of buying that. You know, they might well have had to finance with more debt, but I think in the long run, uh, Netflix could have uh, realized the full value of that catalog and at least got their money back. So anyway, that's that's how I see the deal playing out. I know Jeff Bezos is busy telling the world he's looking forward to uh, actually it was quoted. We're looking forward to reimagining and developing the deep catalog of MGM. I know he's looking forward to getting his hands on that stuff. But uh, anyway, what, what do you think of the deal? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I hear you on your three reasons. I guess I would put a much heavier emphasis on the benefit to prime video and the, you know, specifically the retention of existing members and the acquisition of new members. Bezos and other Amazon executives have always been very public about, you know, how successful Prime is, not Prime Video, but Prime, the the membership model is to uh, Amazon, you know, talking about how Prime members spend more than non-Prime members, they get the membership fees, et cetera, and this notion of the flywheel and how more um, people watching more shows help uh, Amazon sell more shoes. And I think that's really the heart of what's going on here with the acquisition. Uh, you know, the potential for profit from pay-per-view or licensing ticket sales, I, I think that, you know, in even sort of the wildest expectations, those revenue streams are probably relatively small for Amazon compared to what AWS generates and also, of course, what the commerce business generates for them. So I don't know if they're that meaningful. The bigger thing to me is how they how it contributes, how the MGM library, as you said, the Bond franchise contributes to the ongoing success of Prime. And, you know, I, I'm sort of a little bit, um, maybe a little bit puzzled about the quote that you just gave. I, I saw Mike Hopkins give that quote also, the you know, the, the real financial value behind the deal is the treasure trove of IP and the deep catalog that we plan to reimagine and develop together with MGM's talented team. It's exciting and provides so many opportunities for high quality storytelling. I mean, does it, how does that translate into reality? Are they going to go and create a whole bunch of spinoffs out of movies and shows from the past? That sounds like what it's about, but, um, you know, but who knows? And, and even then, it's unclear what the real value of that is. So uh, I, I think just at a minimum, the main opportunity here is is that library. And, and I, I think you raise an interesting question about how much of that library they're just going to dump into Prime versus how much they might hold back for, you know, some type of pay-per-view or licensing, because there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there, as you said, and it would instantly increase the value of of prime by a pretty significant amount for people it would uh, but as you say the 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 reason that people subscribe to prime is not for prime video it is Mm -hmm. for the shopping benefits Mm -hmm. and part of the strategy that they've been using with the content to get people to sign up for prime is to get to get exclusive content and get get very specific licenses to that content 
to expose people to the benefits of Prime membership. So I'm thinking here of um, Thursday Night Football. They've just they've just uh, uh, bought, I think, for one billion a season, the rights to Thursday Night Football on streaming. Um, and in the UK, they bought some really odd rights to the UK to UK soccer, Premier League soccer, where they bought two tranches, one of which was like a few weeks before Christmas. And this was clearly a play to get people to use Amazon more uh, for their shopping. And so the way they had been spending their $11 billion, which is what they spent last year on content, the way they've been spending that money, I think has been reasonably effective at bringing people into the service um, and, and demonstrating an additional benefit of Prime. Mm-hmm. I just don't see why they need to get people into Prime Video more than they are currently. They, I, I should mention the other strategy they're using inside of Prime Video doesn't cost them a nickel. In fact, it makes them money, and that's reselling other people's services inside of Prime. So, you know, if I sign up for HBO, well, I can't do that anymore, but if I were to sign up for, say, Curiosity Stream inside of Prime Channels, then if I need, then when I want to watch Curiosity Stream, I have to come into Prime Video to watch it, and that's that's the glue, the stickiness that video brings to any service or any service bundle, is you know it's painful to move if you want to watch that outside of that environment, and it's very convenient to have it all in one place because it makes it easy to search and you come to one place to watch and all of that. So they're already getting significant benefits, I think, from from plays like that and from the content that they are producing, like The Marvelous Miss Maisel, and mm. um, well, I'm blanking on some of the other stuff, but uh, they've got they've got plenty of stuff to bring people in there to watch. So, bottom line for me is, I just don't see that they need MGM content in Prime Video to do anything that isn't already being done by the content that they have that, that they're spending $11 billion on every year. So for me, it's a bit of a mystery why they went so hard after this and spent so much. So anyway, I, I, yeah. I don't know that I would have done that deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think these are fair points. I, I think, you know, ultimately the question is, these are pretty marquee, well-known shows and brands. And I would guess, given how data-driven Amazon, everything about Amazon is, that they have done some pretty significant research to understand what impact or what potential impact adding these titles to Prime would have on both retention and acquisition, and have convinced themselves that they are you know, meaningful enough that they would add significant value. Uh, or they wouldn't do it, right? I mean, you know, I think it's it's eight and a half billion. Obviously, isn't a huge amount of money to Amazon, but it is still their second biggest acquisition. So, um, I think they had a had to have developed a reasonably solid business case behind behind the deal. So, um, I don't know. We'll see. It's uh, it, it remains to be seen that you know, as with lots of things with Amazon, it it's a very long term oriented company. So. I don't think we should expect to see the library dumped into Prime overnight, for sure. Um, but seeing how it gets filtered into the library over time, or 
that there may be specific windows where content becomes available in terms of, you know, special seasonal promotions or things like that, um, I, I think could be, you know, could have a lot of potential for the company. So a couple of, couple of points there, Will. The, the Whole Foods acquisition, which was $14.5 billion, uh, which they which they made about, I think it was three years ago now, that really was very synergistic with Amazon's long-term goals of retail, right? And they've done a really great job. So you go in a Whole Foods now, there are Amazon lockers there. It's really tied in with your account. You get a discount for, for giving your Amazon account. And it gives them um, a, a retail footprint that, that is extremely, I think, synergistic with the rest of their with the rest of their selling and their approach. I don't see that same sort of synergy that that uh, that, that, that that they would get with MGM here for sure. The other thing is how they will use them inside of MGM. And um, one of the things one of the things I had thought about that I thought would work extremely well is if they use this and create sort of a, a, a new identity inside of Amazon Prime Video, maybe Amazon Movie Movie mm-hmm. House or something like that, mm-hmm. where they use these movies and, and maybe license a couple of other movies as well in to create an experience um, for, for movie lovers that's a sort of bonus... Um, bonus of the of the ownership of the membership of, of Prime, and they mm-hmm. really rotate and, and um, curate that content in those in, in that sphere, uh, rather than just dropping everything into MG into uh, Prime Video, which I think would be dumb and would be a crime, and I'm pretty sure they're not going to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think doing something like that to create yep. a really unique identity inside of Prime Video that is significantly yep. different. It will be a good thing, and it actually it actually does something which I think could be extremely helpful. One of the things I've found with many of the services is the recommendations aren't terribly good for me, and that they need to be thinking differently about how they engage consumers in the content. And this is one way that they can do that. If I if I were to come into Amazon and know that there is an an area called Amazon Movie House where I go when I'm in the mood for um, a movie or classic movie or a movie night and I browse in a very different way it's completely focused on movies that that helps me to find something to watch and it's the way they have it right now is sure they have carousels of movies but that really doesn't that really doesn't get it done for me and I think many people I think many people are frustrated that these interfaces that we get to deal with on a day-by-day basis really only help us um, in in very specific modes when we know what we want to watch or when, when we can quickly narrow in. Um, maybe we just want to come in and browse and see what strikes our fancy and have somebody program to us, curate stuff for us and and tell us, you know, the, these movies are great movies and, and give us a reason to watch them. So I think there is an opportunity here for them to create a new experience, which could be market leading and which which actually could help bring people into Prime Video. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know if they're even thinking that way. I know that that's how I would be thinking about this acquisition if I if I'd been um, if I purchased that and I had a property like Prime Video. Well, Colin, you're making a pretty good case for how the MGM library can help 
prime acquisition and retention. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I've convinced myself yeah. that it, it could. I, I just, I'm just not sure that it, I'm just not sure when you think about their retail focus that it brings a lot extra to the table um, when you when you just fee- think exclusively about that retail focus. But hey, if they do well, something like that and I, I end up spending a lot more time in Prime Video, then maybe you're right. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it is a benefit. Well, here's a thought. If, if the deal doesn't work out for them in three years, maybe they can spin it off to Discovery for half the price that they acquired it for. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be there's a habit. Some, there's but some I, precedent for that. <laughs> but I do know when he is actually quoted in, in one piece talking about, not specifically about the MGM deal, but one of the things that he said was, you know, hey, you've got to try stuff like this when you're... Um, when when you're in business, you've got to. He, here it is. He says the only way to to get above average returns is to take risks, and many won't pay off. Our whole history as a as a company is about taking risks, many of which failed, and many of which will fail. That's a, not a very encouraging thing to say when you're talking about this big new night, big new deal you've just done, right? He's almost the well, yeah. He's certainly said that many times in the past. He he loves to talk about their willingness to fail. So we'll take that for with a grain of salt. But I, I think we've I think we covered the topic pretty well, and it will be fun to see what Amazon does ultimately do with the MGM library. And it is they're still their second biggest acquisition of all time. So it's noteworthy it sure for the is. company. And it'll be fun to see what they end up doing with it. Anyway, I think as you uh, as you were getting to, I think we're just about out of time. All right, Colin, we'll be chatting as always. And thanks, everybody, for listening in on this week's edition of the Inside the Stream podcast. And we'll see you all again next week. 